0: to the JACCP podcast. My name is Erica Ernst. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Pharmacy Practice and Science at the University of Iowa College of Pharmacy. I serve as an associate editor for the Journal of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy. Today we're talking with Dr. Christina Rivera O'Connor. Dr. Rivera O'Connor is a medication management services pharmacist and assistant professor of pharmacy at Mayo Clinic College of Medicine and Science. As part of an author group assembled by the Society of Infectious Diseases Pharmacists, Dr. O'Connor and her colleagues have provided a review of the role of the infectious diseases pharmacist in outpatient intravenous and complex oral antimicrobial therapy. The article will appear in the September 2021 issue of JACCP. Dr. Rivera O'Connor, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me today, Dr. Ernst.
0: Well, it's great to have you. I'd like to start just by asking, why is the publication of the role delineation for pharmacists needed in OPAT and COPAT?
1: In my mind, there's really two main reasons. First is awareness, and the second is for advocacy. I think we know that infectious diseases pharmacists have a very well-established role in antimicrobial stewardship, as well as in the care of people that live with HIV. But there is this other practice area where ID pharmacists are providing direct patient care in the area of OPAD and COPAD, and it's really just not as well known or recognized. So I think that's one part of it. I think a second part of it for the advocacy piece is I think it's really good to have a paper um, or a statement from a professional society that says, yes, we support this practice, we support the pharmacists, we see value in what they're doing. And so that in turn can be used for perhaps if, if uh, someone wanted to develop this particular role at their institution, I hope that this can serve as a valuable resource for those folks in, in developing those job proposals.
0: So in the article you describe a multidisciplinary team related to this aspect of pharmacy practice. Can you describe that multidisciplinary team for us in a little more detail?
1: Absolutely. So as I tell folks, I've been in a uh, practicing pharmacist in a variety of practice areas over the last decade. And the most multidisciplinary role that I've held is actually within OPAD and COPAT, which is something I didn't anticipate necessarily. But um, as I've, I've learned from my colleagues in developing this paper uh, across the nation, that this is, you know, it's a very multidisciplinary practice for all of us. So a, t- a typical team will, will consist of a physician, an ID physician, also common are ID APPs or advanced practice providers, as well as licensed nurses, and then a host of other players that interact with the team, such as care managers or social workers, um, secretarial team those, those all can play a role in addition to the pharmacist. And we interact with each other really on a daily basis to help uh, manage these folks' care.
0: As we look at these patients receiving complex therapy, the, the needs for those different roles are are certainly highlighted in this practice area. So what are the primary contributions of a specially trained pharmacist to the team?
1: Sure. I'll tell you kind of my my broad thoughts on that. And then I'm going to also point the listenership to a specific figure in in the paper as well for some more details. But to me, OPAT being outpatient antimicrobial therapy and COPAT, complex antimicrobial therapy, generally referring to orals, is the perfect place for a pharmacist to practice direct patient care. Because the patients already have an established diagnosis, so it's taking sort of that diagnosis piece off the table. That's already all done, and what we're doing is picking up from that d- established diagnosis piece in managing the patients all the way through the end of their antimicrobial care. And so, in my particular practice, I use a collaborative practice agreement, but some of my co-authors and, and um, other colleagues don't use a collaborative practice agreement. So all these things are. Are uh, very possible even without the use of a collaborative practice agreement, but we're really managing those uh, different aspects of the medical therapy, including the antimicrobial dosing and managing managing and monitoring for lab toxicities, as well as reviewing for appropriateness of use of OPAT and COPAT. So um, several of the co-authors on this paper and myself also have a poster for ID Week that's coming up in which the respondents were asked to, re- to kind of rank their relative importance of an OPAT-COPAT pharmacist, and they rated adjusting medication doses based on lab values, patient review for OPAT appropriateness prior to discharge, and changing medications based on patient intolerance or reaction as the top three tasks And then in the paper within JECCP, figure one gives a little bit more of a detailed view of all the different points where a pharmacist may have a role or interact with the OPAT process. So figure one is specifically with OPAT, in figure two is with COPAT or the, the complex orals. And I think another thing that's really nice about this particular paper is this is something that has never been actually laid out and described before, particularly for COPAT. There's really no described workflow with uh, any kind of disciplinary team that's really been laid out like it has been for this paper. And then, of course, of interest to the pharmacist will be just being able to look at those figures quickly and being able to say, hey, here are the different roles and places where pharmacists commonly interact with this process.
0: Thank you so much. It is so important that there are so many different aspects that the pharmacist can influence. Um, Like you mentioned dosing, toxicity, appropriate use, changing medication, assessing adherence, so many opportunities for pharmacists in this way. So, changing subjects just a little bit, what are some of those? metrics and monitoring, and how can they be used for outpatient joint commission requirements or for ambulatory care stewardship?
1: Yeah. Again, I'm going to refer people to the table here in the paper. There's a very nice table number one that lists examples of different OPAD and COPAD quality metrics. We propose that they would be tracked on a quarterly basis. So in other outside of the United States, there are national registries in England, in particular, the Norse registry, which is also referred to in the paper. Um, So they do this, this quarterly uh, metric monitoring on a national scale in um, the United Kingdom. So we sort of took some of those metrics and said, Hey, these are some of the quality metrics that could be tracked for your programs. And so they really fall into kind of different buckets. So some patient-focused ones, like how many patients were educated, um, what was those, their patient length of stay. As we know, patients who are on IV antimicrobials uh, uh, typically have a longer hospital length of stay, but that's shown to be able to be shortened by intervention by a robust OPAC copat team that has a pharmacist as part of it. That's um, some work that's been shown by Brian Alexander at ID Week in 2020 um, infection related. So the type of the infection, the organisms that are isolated, the clinical outcome of its treatment, and then some antimicrobial stewardship. So getting to your question about, you know, what are some of the metrics that could potentially be used towards fulfilling the joint commission standards for ambulatory stewardship, you could use metrics that are related to the antimicrobial itself. So How often are once-daily agents being chosen? What is the use of long-acting glycopeptides? And how often are high-dollar antimicrobials being used? Also, other more traditional uh, stewardship metrics could be applied, like how often are antimicrobials de-escalated? How long is the duration of therapy that proposed to what the patient was actually able to complete? How many times an IV regimen was able to be switched to oral? When that happens on the outpatient side, that it has its own term called IVOST, um, as well as developing OPAT stewardship guidelines And then, of course, safety metrics as well, which is, you know, kind of the traditional thing that OPAC, COPAT sort of known for monitoring. So there's a variety of different metrics that could be used. And for the ambulatory care standards for Joint Commission for Stewardship, it's pretty open as far as, you know, it's not highly prescriptive in in what the, the metrics have to be to meet their five elements. So they have five different elements. And just to summarize those, it's essentially having a leader, establishing a goal, doing an education or intervention on that goal, and then measuring the outcomes of that intervention. So really, you could choose any of these different metrics that we have listed in that table in the paper, and potentially use those for um, your ambulatory stewardship goal. And and I have heard on the IDPRN that several programs have been using their OPAP program to fulfill that requirement.
0: A great summary. There's so many um, important roles for pharmacists to play in these different aspects of um, OPAT and COPAT. Can you uh, describe a few new opportunities and future directions for pharmacists in the OPAT, COPAT area?
1: Sure. I think, f- you know, for me, what I see as a big area for opportunity is with collaborative practice agreements or maybe even on a larger scale you know, clinician prescribing allowances for pharmacists. So I think in my practice, what I've really seen has really facilitated making a pharmacist the leader of the team is having that prescriptive ability to be able to directly go in and manage and adjust the antimicrobial doses and order labs um, directly and those kinds of things. And I think that's really facilitated for the efficiency of your program is when you have one of those in place. One of my co-authors, Dr. Keenan Ryan, works as a pharmacist clinician. They have that kind of certification in New Mexico where he practices. And I know he has a very robust practice where he sees patients and does you know, physical exams and, and kind of a very hands-on practice. And so um, I think having the ability to have those kind of agreements or certifications in place has been very helpful for us to develop our practice. And I think it could propel this Type of practice forward more broadly. So I think that's a big area. Another, I think, is transitions of care is another big, big area to develop more. And I know there's transitions of care stewardship work that's been coming out. And so having the pharmacist really involved in that transitions of care piece. So not just managing the pure OPAD after the patient's discharged, but really starting your work be- even before the patient discharges is, I think, an emerging area. And one of the co-authors on the paper, her practice encompasses that, Dr. Meta, but I don't know that that's widely done. So it's, it's still a lot of variability uh, across practices, I think. You know, one other thing that could really help to pr- propel OPAC-COPAT forward, not just for pharmacists, but just in general, is having something like they have in the UK where there's a national registry where the OPAC-COPAT programs are, have to report metrics to, um, including stewardship-type metrics. And so I think having that kind of a requirement just would make sort of that importance in the height of having a robust opac copat program just kind of rise to another level. So I think, you know, that's sort of that's sort of a big thing, but I think that would also really propel the field forward. But I think it's moving in the right direction. It's been both a wonderful growth and a challenge for me as a clinician to practice in this area and I hope that it continues to grow and I think it's a wonderful opportunity for pharmacists as direct patient care clinicians to be in this practice field.
0: I agree. And thank you, Dr. O'Connor, for sharing your insights with us today. The full text of the manuscript is available on the JACCP website in the September 2021 issue. Thank you for your time today and for your contributions to JACCP.
1: Thank you, Dr. Ernst.